0: This is A Geek Leader Podcast, and I'm your host, John Rauta. This show is all about helping us grow as leaders, become better technologists, and improve our lives, both at work and at home. I hope you enjoy the show and learn a lot. Hello, world, and welcome to episode 199 of A Geek Leader Podcast. I'm your host, John Rauta, and today's sponsor is Private Internet Access. If you've ever surfed the web, and wanted to do it securely, especially when you're traveling or uh, using someone else's uh, network, you definitely need private internet access. Private internet access allows you to have a secure VPN without them logging what data you're, you're doing, what transactions you're making or anything like that to connect to anywhere in the world. You can also change your default location so it appears as if you're coming from a different place. Why is this helpful, you say? If you're not doing anything nefarious, well, it's really helpful if you want to test DNS resolution from different places and different time zones. Um, it's a really cool tool and it's not very expensive at all. You can get plans starting at $3.99 a month and you can find out more by going to geekleadercom VPN. Again, that's geekleadercom slash VPN. All right, Geek Leaders, today on the show, I've got Tanaka Mutakwa, and he is the VP of Engineering of Names and Faces, a Cape Town-based technology company. He's the founder of a brand called No Days Off, which we'll talk about for sure, and a partner in uh, Pahari African Restaurant. Uh, Tanaka, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Um, I'm really excited to chat with you
1: today, and thanks for having me on the show.
0: So... uh, one of the things that I wanna ask before we get started, just to uh, lay some context, cause I have, different, have guests from different backgrounds and different places all over the place. How did you get to where you are in your career journey um, working as the VP of engineering at Names and Faces and, and everything else that you're doing, cause you're doing a lot. So how did you get from the beginnings to where you are today?
1: Sure, I will try to give a brief story of my journey. Um, so I'm originally from Zimbabwe, and got involved and in, got started using computers quite early on like in primary school not doing much coding but more like typing tutoring lessons and things like that but it exposed me to computing much earlier than most people um, in my age range um, and always enjoyed just working with computers and uh, playing around with them and was always good in computer and computing classes so naturally took that option when i went to university to study computer science i chose computer science and moved from zimbabwe to south africa uh, to study at the university of cape town Um, and i did my computer science degree there and after leaving the university of cape town i started working as a as a software engineer so full stack software engineer mostly in web development Um, and i worked across uh, various companies so what you'd call like the usual enterprise or corporate company I worked there that's where I started did about four years there then I decided to move into startups so started working at a startup after that corporate and yeah I was one of the early employees there so grew with the company Um, I was like the fourth software engineer there and by the time I left there were over 80 software engineers in that team and that company had grown to over 200 people Um, and Again, I was still at that time a uh, full-stack engineer, so more on the individual contributor route. But somewhere along that startup's journey, as the teams grew, they started requiring, uh, looking out for managers, or people mm-hmm. who would be like developer managers for some of the engineering teams. And because I'd been at that company for, from the start and I had a lot of context, and i had helped uh, onboard quite a number of engineers who had joined that company, and I was also always interested in the leadership space and had been reading up and researching on it and almost preparing myself for it by doing different things, which perhaps we'll talk about later in this show. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I applied for an engineering manager role and I got, I got that role and that was sort of my transition into, into the tech leadership space. So that would be about seven years into my journey as an individual contributor, I transitioned into, into the tech leadership space. So- um, and I stayed...
0: Okay. Let me interrupt just real quick. What, what was the most difficult part of that transition? You know, because um, for some people, you know, you, when you're uh, uh, a, a full stack developer like you were, you're, you're doing all the work and then you get into management and you have to kind of uh, work with people and, you know, almost scale out a little bit and give up some control of some of the things that you're working on and depend on others and delegate. What, what was the most difficult part of that?
1: Yeah, I think there's, there's quite a number of challenges that, uh, that that I did face and I think a lot of people face uh, once you do that transition. One of them, I think, is actually the, the letting go of the coding. Mm. Uh, so you're so used to owning your tasks and your features and being fully involved in, 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 that, in, that, in that coding space. And uh, now when you're in this leadership or management role, you may still be coding depending on the company you're working at, but they're not definitely not as much as you used to when that was your full focus. So just letting go of, uh, of the idea that you are the critical path to, to solutions and, and, and features getting built is one of the things. And also sometimes defaulting to going back to, to doing the coding yourself as opposed to empowering, um, yes. empowering the, re- the rest of the team to, 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 to take over and run the, run the coding side.
0: Yeah, I had the um, same the same kind of challenges when when I made that transition. And, you know, ha- having people on your team that would code things, and they would do it differently. And some people that haven't come up in the uh, software side, maybe they came up more of the infrastructure or hardware um, and networking sides of technology. They might not realize that there's there's really a creative art when it comes to, to developing code. And everybody does it slightly different. They have their own slant or their, their own... Uh, um dialect of code that they're going to write you know they're going to do things in their own way and you'll see different algorithms or different ways someone wrote their code and it may not be the way that you would do it and it gets challenging sometimes as a leader to see well okay you're doing it a different way but it still works and it works great
1: um yeah no exactly exactly it's just that giving people that autonomy and and giving them the time to to craft solutions in their own way and again like you mm-hmm. say understanding that everyone is different um it's all, it's all like key lessons you start learning once you're in this management role. And I think the other thing I would mention is uh, I, got, I also got realized with, with coding, you get your feedback immediately. You come in the morning, you, you write your code, uh, you probably get it to production that day. And you know, like, I, I worked on this, I did it well, or I didn't do it so well. With, uh, with management, I found the feedback loop is, is very long and sometimes you actually never get the answer of whether it was what you did or what you suggested that was the impact on, on someone else's career and, and whether it moved them forward or not. So you sometimes feel like you're not making progress or, or you're, not, you're uncertain whether you're doing well or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's also tricky, especially if you're someone who's coded for many years and you always gave yourself feedback based on how you're doing day to day. And you're suddenly in a role where perhaps some of the mentoring and, and management you're giving someone is only going to be realized six months to a year from when you are the suggestions and the work you're doing with
0: them. Yeah. Um, that, that's very well said. Cause I know like when you're, when you're coding, you can, you can look at the story points if you're you know, doing scrum or whatever, see how many story points you're, you're, you're knocking off the, you know, the, the backlog or whatever. Um, but you're right. As a leader, sometimes you, you're investing um, in the long game, right? You, you're, you're, putting, you're planting little seeds that you have to wait for them to grow before you see if it actually is working, if you're doing the right things, so that that slower feedback loop is really, uh, it can be um, discouraging sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. So
1: yeah, again, just another, that's another lesson that that was key. I think that took, it was challenging, but uh, with, with more time in the space, I now understand that's sort of how the, the leadership space is different and works when when you are in that in those in those roles mm. um yeah and just to sort of continue on that part is that startup which i mentioned that obviously grown to like 80 engineers over 200 people um again started feeling a little bit more of an established company or more corporate or enterprise like to me and um i was always on the lookout for what my next role would be. And with my interest in startups as usual, being in a small company and seeing it grow, um, I, was, I was approached by names and faces where I currently work. And they were looking for someone to, to be the VP of engineering and be responsible for, for the engineering team um, and set up the team culture and processes. Um, and, and yeah, that's how I interviewed with them and uh, thought it was a good fit. And, uh, and I ended up there, so I've almost been there for two years now, um, and that's how my journey sort of looks like. It starts with uh, being an individual contributor for about eight or so years, and then stepping into the, the tech leadership role, which I've been doing for since
0: then. Awesome. Yeah, um, I, think, I think you, you really um, epitomize that kind of journey and that process of, of switching between the two and kind of... Um, having to wear both hats at times, but also realizing that, you know, your job now is to grow the people and not necessarily the code base. Um, uh, what are some of the challenges that you've, um, you've seen as you've developed as a leader and, and, you know, through your team and what areas do you see that, that you think a leader needs to focus on the most?
1: Yeah, so I think, I think there's a, when someone becomes a new tech leader, there's, there's a lot, it depends obviously on their background and how well prepared they were by their company into stepping up into this role. But uh, over time, having worked in that leader tech leadership space, I've found there are four areas, uh, which I can talk about in a bit more detail after mentioning them. There are four areas which I think as a leader, if you, if you narrow down and focus on and do really well at, you've almost covered the, the aspects that you need to be good at. So in, in my mind, those four areas are the people, the product, the processes of your team, and the technology stack. Um, and just to go a little bit into detail into each one of them, um, people, which I mentioned first, I always put that first because I believe you can have the most talented people or the best technology stack and everything, but if you don't get the people and culture right and growing them and people being motivated and happy to work in a team and collaboration and all that. Um, you won't go anyway. So people is the very first and most important thing as a leader, you need to focus on. Do I have the right people on my team? Am I helping them grow in their careers? Do I understand them completely? Do they trust me? Do I trust them? Uh, do I give them enough feedback? Do they give me enough feedback? Are they collaborating and working well together? What's the company culture like? So that, those are all the, that, that I think is the first, first important aspect a leader needs to look at and needs to focus on. And it's usually the one that's most neglected. When you're coming mm-hmm. from a, an individual contributor side, you're so used to you and the machine, it's you and the code. Um, so the people side of things is, is very new to a lot of people. Like when, when, the, when a conflict occurs in a team, people usually are unable to, to be the, the facilitator and sit in the middle and address and allow conversations to continue even just helping someone else grow their career. Most of your life, you've been focusing on yourself. I'm trying to push myself. How do I grow and, and everything? You've never thought about how do I think of someone else and help them grow? So yeah. the people side is the first and most important thing to, to get right. Um, and there are many things to do there, but I think one of the most important practices is just a regular check-in with, uh, with the people reporting to you. Um, I prefer a weekly cadence, uh, at least thirty minutes, um, and in that chat, just talk about what's 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 going, what's what's happened in the week for the person. How has the week been? How are they feeling about the team? Anything that's stressing them out or worrying them? Um, what are they? How's their work progressing? And also, you can chat in there about short and long term goals. Um, but also, it should be free to, if there isn't too much work, things to talk about, chat about informal stuff, even what's going on at home and everything. If they had a holiday, well, hours of holiday and what they get up to, it just helps with building that rapport and trust that that helps someone know that you are there and you're supporting them.
0: Yeah, I, I know um, those weekly one-on-ones that you're talking about and those, those check-ins, um, these are super, super important and, and valuable when it comes to building trust. With the individuals, but also learning, you know, kind of how the people operate and how to communicate with those folks. And I think, you know, being a in tech and, you know, like you said, you're, you're focusing on your own self for so long and then having to switch those gears to focus on building your team, but, but also how to communicate um, with other people is really important in building that trust.
1: Yeah. I think the way I always tell people is um, there's, you almost, you almost, almost treat it as if these people are your peers or your mm-hmm. friends, how, you would actually, how would you catch up with your friend if you had to meet your friend weekly? You would want to know what's going on in their life. How are they doing? How are they happy? Um, what can you do to support them? Um, and I think often it's seen as it's work. So let's only talk about work. Let's only talk about uh, what tasks did you do this week? Did you do them well? And it, I think trust is built by actually getting to know someone well and properly so so yeah so i think like that's the people side and then if we move into let's go into the processes so process is just around how what 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 how does your team work so what what are the different processes that your your team utilizes to work efficiently together and in the technology industry obviously over the last decade um the agile methodologies have been i think the the ones that have been winning the show in that aspect and there are, many method- there are many practices and methodologies you can apply in the Agile space, whether it's Scrum, like you mentioned earlier, Kanban, uh, extreme programming. Um, but I think what's important as a leader is to understand all what Agile is to start with and then understand the different methodologies that are out there. What are their pros and cons and what do they bring so that you can look at your context as a team and what would probably work as efficient as possible. And then also always consider is our process always reviewing and considering if your process is still working and ad- adapting it and adjusting it. And I think the only way you can observe and prescribe a process and ma- ensure it's efficient is if you understand what are the different approaches in which different technology teams are working across the world and see what your team could be using and, and doing. So there's a process side, of which is also good to understand. And often, again, if you're, when you're an individual contributor, you just you kind of adopt whatever your team is using or whatever your manager has, has prescribed for your team mm-hmm. and you may not be as aware of what other approaches are out there so, so that's another thing i always encourage people
0: uh, yeah. let me ask you a question about this process and um let's say you are i'll go back to the, the, the way i i kind of got promoted up i was um a developer on a team the kind of the lead developer and when the manager that was on my team left, I got promoted into management, right? So we're still doing things at the time the way that we had always done them. And at the time, we were this was you know many years ago, we were using waterfall software development type methodology with the SLDC. And um, we decided that, or I decided that we're going to try Scrum. And we're going to just um, pull the plug, you know, flip the switch and go Scrum and try to be an agile shop from a waterfall shop. And uh, we made that leap. But how is it that... That you've seen you know when you change something like that how how do you how do you get buy-in from the team as the new leader how is it how is it that you can make that shift and and get everybody on your side how how do you how do you connect that process and people together
1: yeah so that's a good question i think i think what i've found is um let me start with the the difficult way to do it i think the difficult way to do it is to come in on a monday morning and and announce to your team that listen, we're now using this new methodology. I believe it's going to work or this is why we're doing it. Let's go. Yeah,
0: Um, (laughs) I can speak from experience. That's a terrible way of doing it.
1: (laughs) Because, of course, that's that's the buy-in you're talking about. Everyone is thinking maybe some people already like the current method. Why are we changing? How do you know it's going to work? And everything. So what, what I've found, and this is, this, this, is a, this is something you would know, as you mentioned in Scrum, and, and it's quite a common practice on the, from the Agile space. I found retrospectives uh, are very useful. Uh, and and the, the usual way of facilitating a retrospective where everyone gets to bring in their input and their opinion, and then as a unit or as a team, you all come together and agree what action items or what approaches you want to try out. So, my approach would be in a, set up a retrospective style meeting and in that retrospective style meeting, ask people to, to suggest different approaches they think we could be using to work to improve how we currently work. Perhaps seed it with what the problem is. What's the problem we've observed? Perhaps it's taking too long for us to deliver software. We are perhaps building the wrong product because the cycle is just too long. Um, and then let's see, let's brainstorm. And everyone brings in their input you're also in there with them and you, you bring in your input. And at the end of the day, after the, at that session, you, you all vote and agree on what do we think are the best action items that have come out of here and what do we want to try going, ne- going forward into next week. And it doesn't have to be, maybe there might be 10 ideas, but perhaps you pick one and slowly try that first one and then slowly integrate the other ones over time because you also don't want to be a massive change overnight. Um, but what I found is, you in that, then you've brought in all all of the, all the people's opinions. You've brought in consensus, um, and you're also you're also all looking at the problem um, from 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 one one angle. So that's how I, I would approach it. Um, I think a lot of problems with change and and conflict around that comes from the idea that I wasn't informed or my opinion wasn't considered. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. So that's that's why I like the the agile retrospective is one of the best ways to to just get people to open up, and everyone gets gets a chance to speak and say what they
0: what they want to do. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that um, I, I love the idea of a retrospective, and when you do those, you know, like in Scrum, it's, it's one of those um processes you do at the end of your sprints, but but also doing them for other tasks. I know um, we've had other large projects that. You know, we're from different areas of the business that didn't follow our typical processes. But doing doing a retrospective after that, sometimes we'll find items within that uh, project that we want to take and we want to use it in our normal process. And and it's just a great way of getting team buy in and also getting ideas that you wouldn't come up with as, you know, yourself as a leader. You'll get things from from other perspectives and other team members that are so beneficial. So I love that idea of the retrospective
1: yeah no exactly and it's it's such a universal concept because even now at names and faces where I work the the sales and marketing teams and in the work they do, they're also now doing retrospectives on like what have we how have we done this month and what can we change and adjust uh, because it's it's such a universal technique it's got not, it's,
0: it's not limited to to software engineering, so um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was the first. One. I think the third one you mentioned was product. You want to get into product? Yeah, I think we can chat a bit about product. So on
1: product, I think it's as a, as a leader, you, you need to understand for you to be as effective as possible. You need to understand the product your company is selling. Why does your company exist? Mm-hmm. Uh, who are your customers? Why do they buy your product? Uh, How does the company make money? And you'd be surprised how many companies where people work at at those companies perhaps don't know all the answers to those questions. Um, But it's even more important as a leader because when you go back to your team and as a a technical leader, you'll be trying to decide what features to be building, how should we build them and the cost of the technical decisions you make and as to how they compare to, to the value they'll bring to the product your company makes. And also engineers are also very creative people on the product side, so they can come up with ideas on how the business can move forward or how to make the product better. So that's why product is there. I think it's just, I believe everyone in a company does not only tech leaders and not only engineers should have a solid understanding of how the product works and how the company makes money. Uh, but it's something that is very important for a leader to. To have full context and and know about so i also add that to to the list of uh of things if someone is stepping into a leadership role that they need to ensure they are aware of you also often end up in meetings with uh with with non-engineering people Mm -hmm. and you want to understand where they are coming from with the requests they, they they bring to you so customer support might come with a whole lot of requests that customers are bringing through and if you don't have an understanding of the product It'll be confusing to you why they're asking for those things or the sales team may ask for a feature that they believe can upsell the product. And it's easier to, to come to an agreement or to have consensus with them if you understand what the product is. So
0: yeah, I agree 100%. There was a book that I read um, a couple of years ago called A Seat at the Table and uh, by Mark Schwartz, I believe it was. And um, in that book, he talked about how there was a transition you know, probably five or 10 years ago where... Technology was kind of seen as a um, as just a support mechanism and we would just deliver what we were asked to deliver, you know, and, you know, if, if someone from the product management team or the marketing team or sales team said, hey, we need this. We just built it. Um, but now we have to think like we have to understand the business as tech leaders and have a seat at that table so that we are, you know, offering another perspective offering input uh, talking about the capabilities of what is possible so you you say oh we should do this and then you can say did you know that we have the technology to do even more and let me show you what more we can do and bring bring more value than just you know being the the coder you know <laughs> Br- bring value in understanding the product and how you can in, uh, improve it and then enhance it going forward
1: yeah no exactly and there's also an uh higher sense of ownership um, if you are involved on that, at that ta- on that seat at that table. And you also see that some of your ideas or your team's ideas are actually considered when you're at that at table by people outside of the, of the engineering team. Um, so yeah, it feel, it, 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 it's again the whole thing of is my opinion being heard and mm-hmm. are we all working in a collaborative way versus someone made a decision in some locked, closed room and then came out and decided this is what we need to do and we kind of don't understand
0: why, um, yeah. Yeah, agree 100%. Um, and I think the last thing you talked about was technology stack, can you, can you tell me how that relates?
1: Yeah, so I think this, this one is usually the one that people immediately rush to and think is like the obvious Oh, oh, you're a technology leader, so tech stack. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think just to add to that is, understanding your technology stack as a leader, there are different leaders. There's ones who are involved coding day-to-day with their team, so they have a bit more of a clearer view. Then there are leaders who are in different companies perhaps are not coding at all uh, or are further up and are not, are not fully involved in like the day-to-day coding of the teams. But all of them need to understand what technology stack are we using? What are the different components that make that stack? Because to start with, you, that's how way you get the respect from the team and the people you manage, if they're able to have conversations with you where you understand each other. If a developer is struggling with a particular task because of a particular library they're trying to bring in your code base, uh, you can empathize with them because you understand what the code base actually looks like and what issues are coming out from there. And if they're asking for input on how to make a decision, they can trust that they can come chat to you and you can both brainstorm an idea of how do we how do we move forward with this decision as opposed to them not being fully confident that you can help them in, in that aspect. Um, so and you're also able to facilitate team discussions and decisions around technology stack or expanding the technology stack because you've got your you you've got an opinion you can bring in, but also you've got an understanding of the conversations that are happening between the teammates on the discussing. And then the other one is, again, you often be be brought into meetings with non-engineering leaders where they may ask a very brief, sometimes very high-level questions on, do we think we'd be able to do that? And you are able to answer on behalf of your teams based on your knowledge of your tech stack. Perhaps you can't because maybe... You, you need to pick up some upgrading work on your tech stack for the next six months and you can't really be introducing another big feature before that. And you can explain that well to, to the non-engineering people. So it's really important. I think that's the, that's the part that connects you with your team and gives the people confidence that are reporting to you that they can trust you as a leader and, and you've got the same context. Um, and again, like it's always good if you are going to be in that technology space, Uh, it's fast moving and evolving to just have a good understanding of where technology is going else you can also become obsolete in your in your tech skills and understanding of what's happening
0: yeah i agree 100 percent. i was recently having a conversation with um, a development manager who who has in my opinion kind of lost some of that you know he's 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 delegated so much and hasn't stayed on top of the changes and his team has recently changed um, uh, frameworks that they're working with. And He knows nothing about the new framework and in talking to him about it, it, he's really struggling just to, you know, for his team to see, you know, to, to value his opinion anymore because he doesn't really understand it. And he can't can't offer the leadership and guidance that, that he feels like he really needs to offer because he doesn't know it. You know, he, he didn't, he didn't take the time ahead of time to learn that framework and understand it um, and, and even, in, not even to, de- to death, but just to be able to talk about it you know, intelligently. Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
1: You don't have to be the expert in every piece of software and library that your team is using or every part of the technology stack. You just need to have enough context to have a good conversation around mm-hmm. it and make the right decision when, if the decision is ever pushed up to you only or to be able to just help guide someone make a better decision by, by talking to them. It does help to having been an engineer in the past, a full stack engineer, because a lot of these things do change and new libraries come out but uh, and new frameworks. But it's usually an enhancement of something you've worked with in the past. So you have right. a bit of a brief understanding there. But, uh, but yeah, I think. I think that's, that's another mistake people, people easily fall into the idea that you can fall into the idea that you have to be the expert in everything, then you overwhelm yourself with going too deep into technologies, and then you end up going through the problem where you don't focus enough on the people, the process side and the product side because you're just always in the tech. Um, so letting go is okay and actually empowering people to be better and to be experts, uh, but keeping enough context to be able to have a good conversation about it and understand exactly where your team is at with that thing that they're working on.
0: Yeah. I know for me, there's a couple of things that I do to to maintain that is um, in my day job <laughs> as a leader of a technology team, I may take one or two weeks worth of, of coding work per year to, to do just to keep me abreast of systems that we're working on and, and so on and so forth. But, but the real thing that I do is I take, um, a project on the side that I'll do either for a nonprofit or for fun or or whatever. Like this past year, um a friend of mine was um she wanted to build an app because she writes these Bible devotions for uh teenagers and she's like, I want to build, you know, some way to to get this out there. So well I can I can build a, a website for you and, a, and an app that pulls data off the website and does daily de- devotions and things like that for these the kids that are out there. So that was one of the projects that I just took on to you know um I hadn't built an iPhone app in probably five years. So just to go back through the process and see what's changed, what's new with the app store, what's new with releases and, and uh, how test flight works and all that good stuff that you you haven't done in a while to to get back into the, you know, to understanding it. So you can again, speak intelligently when you get to that point or when your team needs you Um, and, and doing things on the side has been very helpful for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. I think that's, yeah, that's one of the usual suggested routes to, Staying, staying up to speed with what's happening and also keeping your skills up there and kind of with the way you're doing it uh, still keep up with your technologies but without interrupting your team too much because maybe right. you're holding on to a task that's part of the critical path and, and now everyone's waiting for you on it. Yeah, um, that's, an, that's not a good place for a leader to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think something else I've also found is uh, also, just even just looking at the, the pull requests and the, re- and the code that the team is, is, is pushing out, um, even if it's already gone out. Um, a pull request may have gone out in the morning, but if you've got it open in your browser and you can read it later in the evening when you get a chance, uh, you might not be writing that code yourself, but you've got context on what new things are coming into the code, how the code's getting written, and again, just gives you context on you know, where your technology stack, stack is at. So, so, yeah, there are quite a few things that allow you to still stay, stay up to speed there.
0: So, one thing I noticed when I was um, doing my background, uh, looking into you, um, is that you like to run. Can you tell me a little bit about your running pass and how you got into it and, and why you run?
1: Yeah, so, the running journey. So, to, to, to start with, I, was, I always did quite a bit of sports in school. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so I was always quite sporty. I did athletics, played uh, cricket and rugby. Um, so I wasn't coming from a, from a zero base, but but in school I never did like long distance running like I'm doing now where you're running marathons and, and ultra marathons. Um, how that happened was actually in about 2015, I... January, beginning of the year, I'm setting New Year's resolutions as, as most of us do. Um, and I decided I wanted to do 12 official races where I actually go to a race and run and, and get a medal at the end. Mm-hmm. As part of my fitness goals, I was like, it would be nice to do 12 races. If I do one race a month, that should be, that chat should be good. Um, and what ended up happening was I went for the first weekend and, and went for a race that was there that first weekend, did the race. And when I was done, I, it felt really good to have accomplished that. And I said, oh, I've already accomplished my first month goal in the first weekend. Uh, <laughs> and when I got back home, I thought to myself, is there another race next weekend? Because if I can do another race next weekend, that's kind of like two months knocked out of the, out of the way. Uh, and it's so early, then I'm, 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 I'm on good course with my New Year's resolution. So I ended up at another race the next weekend. And before you know it, I'm, I'm doing races almost every weekend because i'm now enjoying it and i've i've quickly gone past that 12 races in a year um by like the third month or fourth month of the year and that's how i sort of just got into running and and got enjoyed the idea of waking up on a weekend and meeting up with people and doing an official race uh, but those were just sort of casual i would wake up to a race i wasn't really training. Um, for marathons or, or like ultra marathons. But eventually, after you're, in, you're sort of running that frequently, uh, you start to wonder could I do a marathon? And if I wanted to do it, what do I need to do? So that's when I started training a bit with people who are a bit more experienced runners and they helped me prepare properly for, for races like marathons, where you actually train during the week and then do longer runs on weekends. Uh, and then I, I started doing marathons and eventually also started doing a couple of ultra marathons. And, um, I've just embraced the running journey. So it started off more for New Year's resolutions, more for enjoying the, the, the being out there and running with people on a weekend. And then now it's become a, almost a lifestyle habit that I, that I enjoy to keep fit um, and just the challenges. I think there's many lessons from running that translate back to, to life, you know, with, mm-hmm. with starting something and and making sure you finish it, uh, even though you may struggle somewhere in the middle. Uh, consistency, you only really get better in running with being consistent. Um, a, lot of, a lot of running for long distance training is uh, you actually need to run slower than your, your fastest pace in training so that you don't burn yourself out. And that again, translates a lot to life. You don't always have to be moving at fast forward with everything. Some things just need to be done gradually and you get there um and i really enjoy the long training runs because it takes me out of uh, i run without my without any earphones or or music so i'm digital free and it's it feels like i'm it's myself and my mind i uh, just relaxing and and thinking about things and you're also outdoors uh, you know in modern day you can easily just be stuck indoors with like all these electronics and digital stuff and your brain is always like, oh, I'm in social media or everything. And I think that just a long run, two or three hour run, um, takes me out of that and, and allows me to, to feel much better. There's lots of like, even like coding problems and solutions. or trying to write an article or something where I go for a long run. And when I come back, I've sold half of that during the run, that unconscious uh, unconscious way of solving problems that people often talk about happening to them while they're showering, mm-hmm. uh, like also happens when you're like in a, doing a fitness event that, that, that's, that takes you, that, that's just, uh, unlocks your mind and, and relaxes you. So, yeah. so yeah, so there's lots of benefits and that's how my running journey has, has sort of, as sort of, has sort of, started and the benefits it's given me back in my, my life in general.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, I have to say, uh, very similar for me too. I know when I was uh, training from my first marathon, it was, um, those long runs, I would, I would feel like I solved so many problems in my head when I got mm-hmm. back. And, um, you, you would always have, I don't know if it was the endorphins or just getting your mind away from a screen and code or whatever, but then it just, it just seemed to be able to like, after, you know, three or four or five miles in you start your, your brain just starts working differently, you know, and, and you start seeing something and it'll trigger a thought. Like you'll see a bird flying over here and it'll trigger a thought about something totally different that will, will get your brain brain going. Um, and I don't know, for me, I think it may have been my mind just trying to get away from the pain of running. <laughs> but uh, Another thing for me, I, I noticed that if I signed up for the race, the, the official race, I would, I would, I would feel more committed to, to doing the running. Like I went through a period of time where I didn't sign up for anything. and didn't do any, any races and my running really dropped off. Like I wouldn't work as hard. I would skip days here and there, or when I did go for a run, it would, you know, never be at the pace that I should have been really training for. You know, it would, it would always drop down. But if I signed up for a race, it just triggered something in my brain that says, Oh, okay. I got a race coming up. I'm going to, I'm going to do it now. Um, So I found that that was one of those things that, that was important for me to, to continue it was to sign up for the, that race.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I think it's like, there's a couple of those tactics that, uh, that, that do something to the brain that motivates it to keep going, like sign up for the race. And then if you make the commitment a bit more public, so you've told mm, your friends yeah. that I signed up for that race, then everyone's sort of waiting to hear, yeah, how did the race go? Uh, it almost creates in your, in your mind that you have to do it, you know? Um, yeah. and even with training runs, um, sometimes doing them with people where you agree that we are going to run together on Saturday morning to train, you feel dependent on, they're dependent on you to show up. So you can't now keep lying down in bed when mm-hmm. someone else has woken up early and is waiting for you. Right. So you these, don't want to let
0: them down. <laughs> yeah.
1: These little tactics that, uh, that funny enough, uh, are, are so small, but create an environment which, uh, which allows you to, to be better. Um, and again, like when we talk of those things, they, some of them translate back to uh, even work and, and how a team works and how people want to, to be better. Because um, if you're writing your code, it's, not, it's now the team's code, it's a shared code base. And you don't want to let the team down. Uh, and you've committed to, to building a feature together. Let's do it together, let's, let's get it out. Um, yeah, there's so many parallels that come from, mm-hmm. from, from sports into, into life. So I'm, I'm quite a big fan of, uh, of looking at how things, some things are done in sport and how they come back to, to work and, and, and our lives in general.
0: Absolutely. Yep. I agree a hundred percent. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. How can people find out more about, um, the, the things that you're working on, um, names and faces and, um, uh, no days off and things like that
1: yeah, so I think with names and faces, um, just to mention that we the startup I work at, we we build a visual employee directory for companies, um, so people can know who's who at their company and where they fit in. Uh, we typically solve the problem for companies that are growing past 50 people where you you're not so sure how, well, who else is working at your company and what they're doing, and it starts becoming embarrassing when. Mm-hmm. You walk into the canteen or something and you see someone who's, we who should know, but you don't even know their name and what, what they do. And also now in a more remote context where you actually work with people we've never met. So our app will, your company will, will buy our app or subscribe to our application and we will build a, a directory of all your people and it's visual so you can identify people by their faces in a nice clean way and it's, a, it's very fast. Uh, and allows to, you to contact them very, very quickly if you, if you need access to them. Um, and that's, if you wanna get more detail around that, you can just go to namesandfaces.com um, and you'll, you can watch the video that shows what we're doing or just read up on that. Um, and then everything else around myself, um, you can find me on LinkedIn by, through my name, so Tanaka Mutakwa, um, or I'm also on Twitter, uh, you can search for my name or you can search for my handle, General, General Mutakwa. And from there, I link out to a lot of the different things I'm doing. So one of those platforms, LinkedIn or Twitter, should uh, take you to, to find out
0: more information about me. Awesome. And I'll uh, link all that up in the show notes at geekleader.com. And thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, John. Uh, it's been a very good conversation
1: and uh, all the best with the future episodes of the show.
0: If you enjoyed that episode, please uh, leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. I'd greatly appreciate that. And also don't forget to check out merch. We have some t-shirts that uh, I've designed that are on at geekleader.com. You can click on the merchandise uh, section there and check that out. And also don't forget about the books from our guests. So if you like this guest and other guests that have written books, please um, go ahead and check that out at geekleader.com. I would greatly appreciate it, and I'm sure they would too.